0: So, the reading today is from John 11, from verses 11 to 15. Heads up that we're going to get in the Bible today, so that's not the only verse. Um, So, firstly, it reads, After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. The next verse is from verses 32 to 34. Okay, When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Sorry, dyslexia. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened up the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By the time there is a bad odour, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with linen. Amen. Sorry. Strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Wonderful. And our final verse is from Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. When you're there, say amen. Amen. You're always faster than me. I'm like, oh gosh. Okay, one second. We will get there. Do you know I'm just going to read from the screen? Therefore, yeah, it's a good shout. What was I doing beforehand? Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, well, thank you.
1: <laughs> okay. Is it, is it on? Okay. Sorry. Bit of a wardrobe malfunction. So... I'm Shauna, as Stephen said, and it is a joy to get to share with you from this exciting text tonight. So this evening, as we continue our series focusing on Jesus, I want to take a few moments to look at two seemingly paradoxical sides of Jesus, power and weakness, and what that might mean for us today. But before I even get into that, I must say that as we worshiped this evening, I had such an overwhelming sense of Jesus saying, I the Lord have not changed. I have not changed. I am who I say I am. And so I think he really wants to speak in tonight. So let's pray, let's just pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have not changed. That you are who you say you are. You are the same God that raised Lazarus from the dead. You are the same God of healing, of power, and of deliverance, oh God. And so we invite you into this place tonight. We invite you, I pray that you would help us afresh to fix our eyes on you, oh God. In this time when so much is happening, help us afresh to look at you, Jesus, and to be changed by you, amen. All right, so. This weekend, I had the privilege of babysitting some of my dearest little friends, and I got the chance to learn from them, as always. And so after watching The Little Mermaid and all the havoc that Ursula was wreaking and just taking away Ariel's voice, we got to talking a little bit later about heroes, about superheroes. And so I got them to help me with my talk a bit. I asked them to describe for me their ideal hero, the best superhero. If we could put our heads together and make up the best superhero, what would that person be like? And so there were many ideas, especially because they did not want to go to bed at the time. (laughs) But there are lots of ideas. The first one, he must be really muscly but he shouldn't be able to fly. He should be able to swim really fast. He should be able to change powers. But this one really struck me. He must be like a human, but isn't really. What? I know. <laughs> and so our culture has always been taken by this idea of heroes. We've always been enamored by superheroes. The Marvel Universe alone has been ranked as the highest-grossing film to date, film series to date. There's this longing that we have for heroes who are not only powerful and able to rescue, but who are also human enough, somewhat like us, who show some form of weakness, who can identify with us. And while these stories can keep us entertained for a moment, They're only fictional characters. Ultimately, none of these heroes in the Marvel Universe have the power to save us. This longing, however, is met in Jesus alone, in Jesus, the Son of God, the only one worthy of the title, the Great High Priest, the ultimate Savior who can empathize with us in our weakness, in our pain because he himself walked through it. Yet he is omnipotent, fully able to work on our behalf and to bring hope and resurrection life to any one of our stories here tonight. The themes of power and weakness are threaded through the Bible, with God himself coming to earth as a baby, walking in our shoes, giving up his life on the cross, defeating death and being raised to life. And so John 11 is one of my favorite narratives for this very reason. We see a stunning display of these paradoxes of weakness and absolute power and authority. It's one of the longest accounts of a miracle in the Bible that goes into such depth and detail. And I think John is very intentional in going into such detail so that we can get deep insight into the humanity of Jesus as well as his power, his divinity. And so, many of you might be really familiar with this text. It's a long one, but before we jump in, I'll give you a quick recap. So, this is how it went down. It starts with a man, Lazarus, who was sick. So the narrative starts with sickness. It's not off to a good start. And so we learn quickly that Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha, who we see elsewhere in the Gospels. These are Jesus' friends. And this same Mary, John goes on to be very specific, is the same one who washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And so John goes out of his way to make it very clear to the reader that Jesus loved these friends. These were his people. But anyway, Jesus is somewhere else, probably doing ministry, probably healing other people when he gets this news. And John says the strangest thing. He says, Jesus loved them, so he stayed two more days. What? He stayed two more days where he was. Eventually, Jesus gathers his disciples and they head back to Bethany where the family lived. And when he arrives, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And his sisters are absolutely devastated. And there's mourning everywhere. Jesus meets the two sisters at different time points and both of them echo the same pain. If only you had been here. It's not that they didn't think he couldn't do anything, but he didn't show up. And so upon seeing this pain, upon seeing the weeping of his own friend, Jesus does something that we don't anticipate. Jesus weeps. He's greatly troubled in spirit. And then he goes to the grave, gives a quick prayer of thanksgiving, and calls the dead man to life with two simple words, come out. And so while a lot happens in this chapter and many sermons could be preached, I just want to zone in on two key points that highlight the paradox of power and weakness. Jesus weeps and Jesus works. And so first, let us watch him weep. In John 11, to 38, we see the humanity of Jesus repeatedly in such a striking way. He sees Mary weeping, he sees the hopelessness of the crowds, he sees the effects of sin and death in this world, and twice he's described as being deeply moved and troubled in spirit angry with the state of things, but he doesn't stop there. Among these verses, perhaps the most striking is John 11:35. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, grammatically simplistic, yet carrying remarkable weight, significance, and complexity. Jesus, God with us, wept. I am so thankful that this verse is in the Bible. In some of the darkest seasons that I've walked through, I've drawn so much hope from the fact that Jesus himself wept, Jesus himself understands. Despite knowing who he was and what he would do, that with two words he would snatch Lazarus back from the grave, despite being in full control of the situation, Jesus steps into the shoes of his friends, empathizes with their weakness, and weeps. He weeps for the pain that they walked through in those four days when he didn't show up. But probably more than anyone else in that scene, Jesus is able to empathize. He's able to step into those shoes. He weeps, and he groans in his spirit because he knows the cup that awaits him in just a few days from this point, that he himself will sweat drops of blood, asking the father to take this cup from him. These are real tears, not a lack of faith, but tears of compassion and sorrow. And this is highly unanticipated if we see Jesus as someone who is aloof to our pain. For the ancient Greeks, the primary attribute of God was apatheia, the inability to feel anything at all. Yet John 11 is in direct contrast with this idea. Jesus is the God who comes near to us. He is our God who weeps with us in our pain, in our disappointments, in our sickness, in our hurts. In the brokenness and devastation of this world that we have seen on the news. He is the one who weeps. He is the one who the psalmist in Psalm 56 verse eight says keeps a record of all your tossings, who bottles up all your tears. He is the God who does not stand afar off and unmoved by our pain, but he is particularly close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. He is the one who binds up the wounds of the afflicted and who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. A man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And as I reflected on this, I thought back to a time a few years ago when in the height of the COVID pandemic, I got very ill and I had to do a surgery. And as Stephen said, I was a student here but an international student, and so my family was all the way on the other side of the world in the Caribbean, and were unable to travel because of what was happening in the world. And so I had to go into this surgery without anyone, and I remember I was absolutely terrified. The doctors had told me that because of how they would have had to operate, it was likely that my speech would have been significantly affected and I was mortified. And so I went in and I went through this surgery, but it was a particularly hard time to be in the hospital as you can imagine because of the pandemic. Everyone spoke to you standing really far from you with all this PPE and all this plastic and all the sanitizer and the things, but it was very distant and that was very painful. And I remember one night sitting there in the hospital not knowing what I was doing here and in pain, and I just started weeping, absolutely lost it. I was so broken and I was weeping. And a nurse came into the room and she, instead of asking me what I needed or giving me anything, she did the thing that struck me most in that season and I will never forget it. She stepped beyond what anyone would have never done in that time, understandably, but she climbed up on the bed and she just sat with me. And as long as I I wept, she sat there. She sat there and she carried the burden with me. When everyone else did, understandably, stay away, she did not stay away. And this nurse unknowingly pointed me to Jesus in that season she showed me his heart, that he himself allowed himself to walk in my shoes so that he could be my great high priest, so that he would know what that felt like. Through his ministry of tears, Jesus highlights for us that sometimes in the face of suffering and the horror that we see around us, tears are a good and suitable response. We don't need to shy away from the realities before us, but we can weep and bring those tears to him because he is the God of the paradox. It is in those very places that his power becomes strong in us, that his strength is made perfect in us when he invites us to lean on him. But while he weeps, Jesus does not stop there. He is not limited to weeping like we are because he is God. He is absolutely full of power. And while he weeps, he also works. And so, as I saw in my little friend's description of the best superhero, what good is it if our Savior only can sympathize with us but lacks the power to do anything about it? And in this text, we see that Jesus moves from weeping to working. As he stands before the grave, he doesn't create a big fuss. He simply calls in a loud voice and tells Lazarus to come out. And Lazarus is raised to life. That is the power of Jesus. He himself is the resurrection and the life. And that is his power today, that he can speak to every dead situation in this room and say, come out, come to life. And this is something I've really sensed the Lord wants us to press into tonight. He is not indifferent to you, and his power is available, and He is always working. Even when we don't understand his ways, and we can't trace his hand. Jesus may not always work in ways that are consistent with our timelines or our methods, But as he expected of his friends in this text, he expects of us. He calls us to believe him, to trust in him, to trust that he is who he says he is, that he is good and that he loves us. He could have saved Lazarus from a distance as he had done before. He didn't even need to go. He could have come immediately to rescue his own friend. But he waited in love and in absolute control, he delayed for two days. And in those days, there was the belief among a certain sect of Jews that when a person died, the spirit hovered over their body for three days, hoping for re-entrance. But once the person started to decompose, there was no longer any hope. And this is when Jesus rolls up into the scene on the fourth day when there is no hope. And Jesus would have known this. He would have known. He wasn't, this wasn't lost on him. Jesus knew that, I'm going to wait till day four. And he rolls up like, I am here. Because that's who he is. And because he had a larger and better story in mind. Can you imagine the pain of the sisters? What waiting on Jesus each day would have felt like when the sun would go down each day and he still have not shown up, when the onlookers are probably questioning whether he really loved them to the point that they probably started to question. Maybe they misunderstood their friendship, his love for them. This would have been pain beyond belief. And many of us in this room can probably relate to that. Now or at some point in our lives, as I told you about that time back in the hospital, I prayed and begged God to let that cut pass. I gave him so many suggestions of a different storyline that did not involve that, that did not involve going to the hospital, that did not involve all that fear. But he had other greater plans. And so I don't pretend that that wasn't painful. But through that, I have come to know him in ways that I did not know him before. I knew him in power before, but this time I learned who he was as my shepherd, as the one who walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death, as the one who weeps with me, and as the one who also heals wounds inside and out, as the one who still shows up. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that God's intentions to us are always good, even if he delays. He will come at the right time, even if it's not what you expected. And so the Bible is full of stories of individuals who were loved and called by God, but also walked through journeys like this. We see it in Joseph's life, being sold into slavery by his own brothers and spending years in prison. We see it in David's life, being called to be the king of Israel, but spending years running for his life and living in caves. We see it in Paul and Silas's life, who were sharing the gospel, yet were beaten and thrown into prison. We see it in the disciples who were storm-tossed at sea, straining at the oars, with Jesus watching from a distance. But more than that, every time we see that God in love is working a bigger and a better picture, coming to the rescue in his time, while all the while forming in these individuals who he has called them to be. And so as I close, I'll call the band back up. But this week, as I prepared this talk, I really resonated with Mary and Martha, the friends of Jesus, who looking at their situation, looking at my own life, looking at the world, I really felt like, Jesus, if only you had come sooner, if only you had come sooner, things wouldn't be like this. But I was reminded in that of a quote from Cory Ten Boom in her book, The Hiding Place where she documents her tremendous testimony of hiding Jews during the World War and living in concentration camps. And she said, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off, you sit still and you trust the engineer. And I knew Jesus was inviting me in that moment to fix my eyes on him to fix my gaze on him, and to remember who he has said he is before this and who he will continue to be in my life and in his word. And I really sense that that is what he's calling us to today. He's inviting us in this season to turn away from cynicism, from doubt, from the hardness in our hearts that can come from the sense of disappointment, and to take a Fresh look at him, the resurrection and the life, the one who ultimately defeated the grave, or high priest who not only walks with us but is able to deliver us, to redeem situations that we feel are as good as dead. He wants us to cry out again in prayer, to expect him to move. Maybe not in our way and not in our time, What to expect him knowing that he not only weeps with us, but he has all the power and he will go to work on our behalf. Amen.